0: I heard a twerp.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, uh, was that you, uh, Todd? Okay. No, it, it it was telling me that it was recording the call. Oh, okay. So, right now, I don't even see it saying yeah. that it's recording right now. I do, I do. Yeah, it shows up on okay. mine. Okay. All right. So, uh, for me, it's Saturday morning. For you guys, it's uh, Friday evening. And uh, welcome to the Friday evening uh, uh, chatathon. We've been talking about uh, all things Thai, including the weather and whatnot. Uh, and David's asked a question. Um, there's quite a complex, but we can start with the answer to that in the sense of uh, once you've gotten an experience, how do you communicate that and who do you communicate it to? And there's several different ways of looking at that. In fact, this is one of the things that Jesus was talking about when he says, don't cast your pearls to the swine. In other words, be careful about revealing religious experiences, or if I don't know whether you want to call it religious or not, let's just call it experience, and we label those experiences with with things like spiritual or religion or uptight or (laughs) down below or over there (laughs) or way out yonder or deep down. All of those different things that we can have that are actually, let us say, ordinary life's experiences that we're now experiencing a deeper, newer way that we're actually getting more out of the experience than we used to, because now we're paying attention to what's really going on. So the answer to that has to do then with the Sangha. That's what this community is all about is to find friends so that you can ask mutual questions and point out mutual experiences and whatnot like that and get positive feedback for it. Because we're all kind of dedicated to, um, let us say, possibly the easy way to answer that would be that we're all looking for just the right amount or just enough of whatever it is that we need so that we can find to be satisfied. Because right now we're all in a state of hunger. We're always wanting something even if it's nothing but the wanting or the desire of, how am I going to fill the time? We have time on our hands. And in fact, everybody's got the same amount, almost overwhelming, except that we find many ways of spending our time that we would almost regret that we don't enjoy spending the time and think that the time that I've just spent doing nothing was well spent and that's all we can do is spend time a lot of people think that they can make it (laughs) I have to make time for that one (laughs) what does that mean is shoving other things out so we begin to have all kinds of new understandings of things And it's good to find a community of people who are doing that, that this is quite natural, that in fact you could go so far as to call it a change in your tribe or a change of lineage. Mm -hmm. This is what the change of lineage is really all about, is you begin to associate with a new higher class of people. You literally marry above you. You know what that means it in various phrases. Okay, so that's what we're doing Uh, in, in in a kind of an odd way. We're doing some social climbing. By going after the very
1: best people. To associate with.
0: But it depends upon your criteria as to what you consider the best
2: what about when you're obviously when you're in sangha there's that incredible opportunity just to feel like you're saying that relatability and that that connection but when you're in the normal world the 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 samsara if you will um how do you not get you know uh arrogant egotistical detached or simply just disconnected from that you know staying compassionate and grounded while also being, seeking that nobility at the same time?
0: Uh, there's a Latin phrase for that. Ilijatim, ilijati, uh Ego carborundum which basically translate the illegitimate, those things that are not really good or legitimate, but the funny translation is bastards, the illegitimate children. Don't let the bastards grind you down. That's what the carborundum means. I mean, you've heard about carbon wheels or grinding wheels made of carborundum or something. Okay, so that's basically what we're talking about is that don't let ordinary abrasive people grind you down. Stay away from them, at least a little bit of distance.
2: So having that discernment to say, this isn't good for my my dharma, my practice.
0: Right, this isn't. Right. This is all about the point of uh, going into seclusion in the first place. Is get off the grinding wheel. Get off the millstone. Okay, take a rest for a minute. Or as the Buddha talks about it, the log in the bog. You guys know the story of the log in the bog? I'm sure that Eric does. (laughs) Okay, so the log and the bog is. um, uh, Funny thing about the way that I was raised and the places that I was raised, we wind up the kinds of things that the Buddha talked about. I've actually been there and done that because in Dillon, South Carolina, it's right on the edge of the whole swampy area of South Carolina where we had the swamp fox and all of that kind of stuff. And so swamps, yes, I know about swamps, been there, done that, worked for the highway department. So I've been into those swamps big time. (laughs) And so, yes, there are trees that fall in the swamp and they will lay there and then slowly gather more and more water until they sink to the point that they're either completely submerged or they're, um, uh, just kind of floating on the surface. So you've got these logs in the water, submerged in the water. Now in the time of the Buddha, they had, uh, professional fire makers. I even see now some of the tricks that they have for, um, um, starting fires out in the woods on YouTube. But the trick is, is can a fire maker, even a professional firemaker, can he set one of those logs that's in the bog on fire? Think about it, I mean, it's actually not a trick question. Can he set up a log that's uh, submerged in a bog on on fire in the swamp? Todd, give it a go. I wouldn't think so. Right, exactly, that's the answer. No, he can't. Just like it's really hard to set your heart on fire, literally, when you're in the bog of society. So if you take the log out of the bog and put it up on the shore, can the uh, fire starter set that log on fire now? Only to dry out a bit. The answer is no, not yet. (laughs) But eventually after the sunshine and after the gravity, both work on it. Sunshine and gravity together. And now there's places on the log that can be caught on fire. So this is the example that the Buddha uses of the value of uh, getting away from it all. Literally get yourself out of the bog of your own existence, dry out a bit, And then we can have that spark of the Dhamma. And if we can't get the log out of the bog for days, weeks, months or years, we can at least get it out of the bog. For moments, and that's the practice that we have to develop of getting the mind out of the bog, getting the, mind, uh, getting the body and the mind both out of the bog. The first one is to get the body away from other people. I mean, it's really hard, but possible, let us say for those who want to experiment with the power of it, is to go into a crowded restaurant and relax. Or go to, and I think I've talked to uh, at least Eric about this or, or uh, other students. How about an airport? Can you completely relax in an airport? Can you do that? Wow, that's hard to do because everybody around you is uptight. Very few people are relaxed in places like that. So <clears throat> it's better. To get away from it all, go to the woods. A place that's conducive to relaxation. Which can be as, as small
1: as a toilet stall. But at least that's getting away
0: from it all.
3: <laughs>
0: so you can literally sit down and take a dump.
3: <laughs>
0: a mental dump. Just... Um, Don't have to think about it right now. So that's the whole point of getting away or getting into solitude so that we can get the mind cleaned out so that we can begin to see uh, see things clearly. And once we see things clearly, that's when the oh my goodness kind of stuff comes up that you're talking about. David, yeah, Yeah, you're talking about that stuff that you do see once you begin to look. Well, there's actually this sequence that we're talking about is in the sutras, if you understand them correctly. That in fact, uh, there's two twin sutras, number 24 and number 48, that work hand in hand like this. And in Sutta number 24, the sequence that they talk about is first purification of uh, Siva, then purification of the mind, and then purification of the view, which is fairly closely mapped with the way that it's set up in um, uh, Sutta number 48, where that third one, the clarification of the view, then uh, brings in number 24, that point of knowledge and vision of what is and is not the path. That's an important point because that's when we have complete freedom from doubt about what we need to do in our life, moment by moment, right now, no doubt about it. I know exactly what's going to happen right now, and I'm good with it. So that's the kind of uh, new sort of path that we're on is the method of how to deal with each moment, knowing how to do that. But that's a little bit later stage than the stage of what we would call discovery or the waking up, which is a little bit before the stage of getting the mind cleaned out which is a little bit before the stage of the sila. Now, the point about the sila is is that it has more to do, just like all of the rest of the teachings, it has to do with this present moment. A lot of people mistake purification of sila is, is that, oh, you've got to be a good boy for five years, and then you can sit down and watch your mind. I mean, we even teach children that way basically because we expect children to not have the wisdom. And so they have to get rules instead to where, as far as I know, any kid can understand correctly why it's not a good idea to shop with. They can understand that directly without having to make it a set of rules and and uh, go overboard about, uh, you know, going to hell for it when you've got cops (laughs) instead. Um, and so the whole point of SILA is is that if we get ourselves away from it all, get ourselves into seclusion, then that's enough of purification of Seva. that in fact, you're out of the bog. You're out of the pollution. Now you're draining the pollution out. So that whole quality then of sila samatipanya, which you probably heard before in reference to the Eightfold Noble Path of sila samatipanya, there it is. The sila is to get ourselves away from it all, it, 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 you know, just for a short time so that then we can clean the mind out of all the hindrances and get the mind into one wholesome thought after another, after another. And with that, Now we can begin to see a lot of stuff, including to see really how to relax, how to see the fact that things are really nice right now. So there's a lot of new stuff to see, but we've got to get the mind ready to see. And the way that we get it ready to see is by getting it wholesome instead of, uh, let us say, still polluted with the garbage that we walked in here with. But at least we got ourselves out of the garbage out there so that we can get alone, so that we can drain it out. And after we do that, then we want to make sure that the kind of people that we're associating with are doing the same thing. So that we can help each other. So, David, you've got your blinkers on. So does okay. Todd. Todd, you got your blinkers on.
2: What does that mean? I'm sorry. Does
0: that mean? I I see your window blinking, blinking, unless you mean you got your hand raised or something. It, uh, the old Skype used to have a hand raise.
2: Oh, I, I don't think, think I part heard part. anything.
4: It's not muted. So it's probably picking up the speaker sound and
1: thinking and talking. Okay. All right. I'll try muting it.
0: Well, back to you, David. Um, is this uh, going in the right direction of your question?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, I really, I mean, I really appreciate just the simple image of again moving, removing oneself from the bog, letting the gravity and sun just simply air out the mind. And it made me think of the sense nutriments and how we how we feed our consciousness and and on all levels. And over time by just simply being around better foods, body sense, mind, it will heal the body. But I guess what initially made that question come up for me was this feeling of when I'm not in Sangha, when I'm in my day-to-day life or if I'm seeing an old friend, I I saw a good friend yesterday and we were having a conversation and uh, I have tons of respect for her. So it's not even about her, but somehow it came up where she was talking about a relationship and somehow i kind of said you know all of this is sacred all all of these mundane aspects of life are are the sacred are sacred basically and i kind of wanted to just begin sharing what what i've been experiencing but then i realized wait a minute i can't really do that without coming across as some preachy you know and, and that's not what <laughs> i want to be and i also don't want to be you know walking around in my white robe cloak and like you know eating locusts <laughs> i know i took
0: mine off <laughs> yeah <laughs>
2: so it's like somehow staying ha- i was actually spent the morning watching there's a teacher or, or a writer i love peter matheson who was a zen master and i was watching him in interviews because his writing is so profound and then to see him be a normal guy in interviews. And, and so how does he go from these very deep Zen insights to talking about ecological issues and not being kind of up in the air? And so hold, holding the clouds while still Sometimes the he ground. feels
0: like a nut and sometimes he don't.
2: I'm sure he does, or he did at least, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that we're not always the same. Yeah. That, in fact, that's That's the idea that you're talking about actually is deeply embedded into our society with phrases like the leopard can't change his spots. Mm -hmm. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree or boys will be boys or that's just who I am. And then you can get to the more subtle things like I feel angry. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's actually kind of backwards, but no, it's the same thing in the sense that uh, we can't change. But if anger comes, I am angry. Rather than recognizing that, no, you're not angry, but there is anger there. And we can see all the the forms of it if we look at it the same way that someone else would look at it.
1: I
3: mean, when people
0: are... When people are loud and they have their fist up and their uh, neck is tight and their face is red and all kinds of other signs like that, then it's easy to see. But if you tell him, hey, man, don't be angry, he says, I'm not angry as he slams the door. But if he would look at his fist, if he would look at his chest, if he would look at his neck and experience what's going on, he would recognize not only that he is angry, but that he doesn't like it. That it's got dangers to it, that it's not the value that we thought. You see, people get angry because we can see an advantage to it that we feel gratified by being angry because it makes us feel powerful and our only option is to feel weak and
1: guilty or uh, victimized. So if we are. Um, in that
0: frame of reference. We can't see straight. And so it's hard to look. And so it's better to look when things are easy to see. That's why we want to get the log out of the bog to get the mind cleaned out so that we can see because when we're agitated, we can't see straight. So we want to be able to get our minds settled down so that we can see straight. We start looking at things and see things straight. And so when we start to get agitated, we can see that easily enough so that we don't get agitated instead. And so that's part of the growth process. Being able to see the agitation as it comes, because we're already able to see it when it comes up a little bit during meditation. Because we actually get agitated because we talk ourselves into it, just like we get agitated out there because somebody else talks us into it. Go ahead. That's an
2: amazing i I noticed that for myself actually very powerfully recently, where i was um, and gratefully actually I had anger coming in, and it was necessary and on a on a level, but I realized very quickly that this was just a story I was telling myself, and immediately it just dissolved away. but that story, like you said, can perpetuate itself um but but I think just just to go back to that very first question though, how you said you can. Peter Matheson might be different things, sometimes feel like a nut, sometimes not. Mm-hmm. Being able to move between the nuts of being in very deep meditative absorption and then going back and washing the car and uh, having a beer with a friend if you drink or you know, going to the, the restaurant and talking about politics and not being stuck in the high, being able to move between them at will, I guess. Is that is that kind of what you meant?
0: Well, actually, no. (laughs) And (laughs) it's good that you bring that up in that stark contrast because that's actually the way that many people see it. And another way of saying it is, instead of going deep into meditation, go into rather a state of practiced liking, practiced comfort practiced safety, security, practiced satisfaction, just like someone would practice a musical instrument or practice a sport. But here we're practicing also something that we really get the benefit out of right here, right now. So it's literally saying, practicing joy. Well, what's the benefit of that? Well, right now I have joy, <laughs> which is a whole lot better than misery, which I used to practice. I was quite good at it. <laughs> Not only that, but I can make you miserable in a heartbeat.
2: <laughs> but, but, but I love that. We can, we can also be practicing just simply love. I mean, it's meta, really, right? But practicing our daily interactions and that too obviously is the buddha dharma is the
0: ah uh, yes now we're getting to the other side of that so if we can practice getting ourselves into a good state then that means that when you go out for a beer you can go out and maintain your joy and happiness okay. and you can maintain your joy and happiness if you don't go out for a beer mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, and when you're discussing politics with someone, most of the time, people, when they discuss politics, they have to be very careful or they're going to get into a heated battle. I mean, there's there is no possibility of not finding at least something to disagree with someone about. (laughs) And that seems to be what happens in bars is people find things to disagree about rather than find things to agree with.
2: That's definitely true.
0: So if you have the presence of mind to, uh, let us say, to stay out of the bar, then maybe you have the presence of mind to stay out of the gutter when you're in the bar. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's the whole point of the practice here is to remember to wake up and to not go into the bad feelings that we typically wind ourselves into. That's what the is all about is we wind ourselves up in some sort of hole. We are in an argument or we're in a state of not liking. That we're angry instead of curious. OK, so that's the way of of, uh, of practicing when we're alone not to go into some deep meditative state then that has no real value for us in the world. No, we need to practice the skills in meditation that we need most in the world. Does that make sense?
1: It does. Yeah. Yes. Can I ask, um, I, I basically
4: do that, but instead of uh you know when i'm out with people who are you know i don't know difficult in some way or you know maybe i, I tend to be the person that other people <clears throat>
0: are they and, difficult and, for themselves or are they difficult for oh, you, <laughs>
4: you no know, they're, they're difficult for themselves and, and they they tend to you know people vent to me because I I, I I it just doesn't affect me really like I'm i'm okay with it i can just listen and be a compassionate ear. And Isn't that
0: wonderful? So you. why are you dumping it on me now? <laughs>
4: <laughs> what I actually wasn't complaining.
0: I know, but I'm just teasing you.
4: <laughs> instead, of, but instead of being like in necessarily a joyful space, I tend to go to what feels like a more open you know no self pervasive just you know gentle nothing you know just just kind of this open very
0: nothing i like that
4: yeah (laughs) you know um so yeah i mean do you think that's it. Seems to work for me, but you know, I, I I kind of default to neutrality as opposed to actually going up to you know joy
0: and. Well, why don't you give it a go?
3: I'll have to why don't, try why that don't
0: more. Try, yeah, I'll share your joy. I mean, you can get people out of a pity party, no matter what it is. You can literally talk people out of being angry. You can talk them out of being sad. You can make a joke. Even to the widow who is leaning over the casket of her husband, you can get her out of her grief right then and there and get her cheered up or angry or any other mood that you want her to be in if you know how to do it. Mm -hmm. And then you choose, okay, well, if I do have that skill, then how, uh, first off, which... Uh which duty am I going to perform? How am I going to deal with this situation to get that person, you know, out of their uh grief? Okay. And the answer to that would be the life of Brian. You know that movie? Always look on the bright, on side, the bright side, of side of life. Exactly. Okay. You can give that to them every time. That works. Yeah. Give them the brighter side. You can't see the brighter side, but you can show it to them. You can rub their face in it. You can be <laughs> joyful with them.
4: <laughs> Sometimes people, it almost can have like the negative effect. Like People think you're like you're like pandering to them or pushing them. And it's like they want to wallow in their, you
3: know. Uh-huh. And you know, then you tease
0: them about that too. But you have to be on it. You have to stay with it. Yes, you know that that's, in fact, um, if you're going to get somebody to start to move, then naturally they're going to move first in the direction that they want to move, but at least you've got them moving now. Okay, so you begin to take over. This is what a good psychologist learns to do. They manipulate people. Unfortunately, the very best psychologists don't manipulate people into good health. They manipulate them into a bill next month.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, um, yes, we do once we recognize that we have a duty to the Dhamma. We have a duty to spread joy and good cheer and to be a good neighbor not only that, but it is fun to do it. And not only that, but it has great rewards. There's value with going into it. It's got value while you do it, and it's got lingering value after you finish. It's good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end to be joyful. but it's going to piss some people off for a while. But in fact, that's the whole point in a way. um, Gloria Steinem is labeled with this, but she says, no, it was much older. She was, by the way, a New York uh, uh, Times columnist for many years. Uh, But she quoted Jesus as saying, uh, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. But first, it's really going to piss you (laughs) off. And that I work with that on a regular basis with students because the truth, often they don't like it. Like the guy who's angry, he does not like to hear that he's angry. He doesn't want to be angry. He's not supposed to be angry. And what he's doing right now is not angry enough to be labeled angry. (laughs) Well, I'm not that angry. (laughs) I'm this angry. (laughs) So, yes, everybody is in a state of avoidance. That's the normal state of mind is to be in that state of avoidance because we don't want to be caught in our own wrongdoing. But if we do get caught in our own wrongdoing, wouldn't we rather it be teased and played with rather than being slapped around? And so, yeah, go ahead and do it, but always do it in a friendly way. That, in fact, I think that uh, I've said this to, to Eric before, that when it comes to friendship and honesty are the two things that we would say would be spiritual. But the friendship comes before honesty. If you don't have a rapport, then your honesty means nothing. That friendship becomes comes before honesty, well, you're beginning with the friendship now we can add the joy to to really cement that friendship, and when you get close in, then you can use that dagger
1: like a cotton
4: candy dagger <laughs> <laughs> exactly. uh-huh. like a uh,
2: manjushri, no. <laughs>
0: Well sometimes we do we do feel like that we're stabbed by the truth when especially when we get caught lying. We don't like to get caught lying. No one gets likes to get caught lying. That's one of the reasons why either we don't lie or we make sure that what we're saying is correct doing some backup, checking it out, all you know, going back and reviewing those sutures to make sure that, yes, this is what's in there <laughs> and all of that kind of stuff. And the other side is, is that we lie in order to cover up our lies. And we learn to do that as kids because often kids are smart enough to get away with lying. And so we wind up as, you know, as liars, even though we've been told that the truth is better, that the truth shall set you free. We still cling to our own views, our own lies, rather than look at the way that things are. We would much rather believe our own fairy tales, our own opinions, or following our own old habits, which are often instinctual. This is why the Buddha actually, I can see so clearly why he put right effort on the Eightfold Noble Path, because some of this stuff is sticky.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and we have to keep polishing and keep polishing and keep polishing and keep polishing. I can take of many examples from spit shining shoes to uh, polishing buckles. We did a lot of that kind of stuff when I was in the military. And it doesn't matter how much you polish that buckle, it needs more polish. <laughs> Is that right, Eric, or what? It's That's not. Maybe right. they they're really proud of those brass <laughs> buckles. <laughs> oh
3: yeah, polishing everything. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay so that whole analogy then is is that we do need there's a time to quit when it gets enough we have to know when it's enough but for a while we have to take the right effort to clean things out that's why we keep going with wholesome thoughts let's throw that garbage out let's throw that uh uh green spot on that uh, copper Just rub it off, you know, let's keep going. Let's keep doing it over and over again. And then when we get the buckle polished, then uh, it becomes like a mirror or it shines. Okay. But we can go, in fact, this is a good analogy of that polishing the buckle. And that is, is that the only way that you're going to be able to polish the buckle is by holding it still. Isn't that interesting? If the buckle's all over the place, if you can't find the buckle, or if you're wearing the buckle, it's really hard to polish the buckle. You got to take it off and set it down and stabilize it so that you can polish it. And there you are again, Sila Samati Panya. You don't have to glue the thing or uh, weld it to the anvil. (laughs) in order to get it stable. Just a little stability is all we need to get that thing stable enough so that we can polish it. And once we get it polished, now it can be seen uh, as shiny or um, wise reflection is a way of thinking of it. And then it's really nice to march around with all of these other guys who have (laughs) shiny bubbles. (laughs) (laughs) or in our case, bright, shiny minds
1: where we can see clearly.
0: So, David, do you have any follow-ups with this?
2: No, I I think that was, um, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to answer that. I do. Thank you.
0: Well, Todd, do you have any questions or anything? I actually do. Thanks. Um, So this is kind
4: of, kind of a little bit related to what I had said before. And, but I guess it's, it's more of a practice question. So uh, every now and then, you know, I'll be listening to different things and something will kind of, I'll hear something uh, new or, you know, something really resonates and, I, I was listening to uh, some some uh, talks by Kula Dasa one day, and then also at the same time, I've been listening to this audiobook that somebody had posted actually on the Discord site, and it was, um, I forget the exact name of it, but it was something about uh, Buddhist wisdom with um, uh, modern, you know, science, like of, of, of and so it was kind of a meditation thing based off of, you know, like it was by like a neuroscientist who's also a Buddhist. But anyway, the whole point of this was being that at the same time, they both brought up the distinction between attention and awareness being like the focused attention and the peripheral awareness. And they, it, it was just put in such a way that it was something that I think I had always been aware of, but never thought of as specifically is that or, or it They had like a certain clarity that went oh yeah and so as I was listening to the one book they were talking about how uh, kind of the goal in meditation is to get like a 50-50 ratio of being you know if you're watching your breath to have you know 50% focused attention and then 50% peripheral awareness of kind of that spacious everything kind of awareness but then Kuladasa, who was talking more about the jhanas, was saying that there are certain points like in the jhana practice where it should be like 100% peripheral and then no you know, real focused attention. And I was curious if you had thoughts on
0: that sort of thing. Yeah, all we need to do is tweak your numbers. Okay. And the way that I wanna tweak them is by throwing them out. So then instead of in the high jhanas, it's 100%. Let's just say that it's more, that in fact going into the jhanas is not into at all. That going into the jhanas is coming out of the mind into the present moment of actual down to the level of consciousness itself. As opposed to the process that we go through of perception, which then leads to an internal representation, which that's what then contacts us, which then gives us feelings. And look at all of this time that we've been spending and all of this internal stuff when, in fact, we could have been back there just gathering more data.
4: So do you consider that just like what I would call direct experience that just.
0: Dustness, exactly. Before it's labeled, labeled. exactly. Before it's it's processed while it's still real, real. Yes, that's what the jhanas are. Okay, and that the first thing that we do towards that is coming into the first jhana, which means that now we are able to direct the kind of thoughts that we have so that we can direct them to the wholesome more and more and more to the wholesome, rather than just letting them go off into all kinds of fantasies or outer space or this, that, and the other thing, no, we keep things real. We stay out of the past, out of the future out of over there and out yonder, we recognize that our world is local. It's local to the senses. If you can't pick it up with your senses, then it's nothing but a concept after that. It's either something you can sense or something you can dream. Those are your only two choices. And so the whole process is coming out of the dreaming into the reality that's it. That's what the jhanas are all about. That's what the practice of waking up is all about, and a really, really good starting point. In fact, the landing point or the base camp is the first jhana. This is the place to be.
2: I, I just want to say that that was an, a magnificent statement. It's either something you can you can sense, or or something you can dream. That is,
3: <laughs> bravo. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes, in fact, that's what I'm looking for. Those one liners, they go,
5: what?
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely a Dogen one liner, (laughs) if there ever has been one. Damarato (laughs) Shubogenzo.
0: So that's the way of of recognizing it then is, is that, yes, being in the here now is being in the senses, and being off someplace is being in the world.
2: When you you said, once we realize that, uh, and then then we can begin to direct our thoughts, it it made me just, again, I've been doing a lot more Zen recently of the 10 ox herding photos, pictures, and it's when you grab the ox, you then can direct the ox the way you so choose. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Forget about the ox. <laughs> Isn't that step 10? <laughs> that's the next one.
2: <laughs> that's, that's after that one. <laughs> there is no ox.
0: <laughs> yeah, there is no ox. Forget about there it. There <laughs> never was. <laughs> uh,
2: all right. I, I, I have to actually go. I have a, a thing at a temple tomorrow morning. Um, a local Korean Zen temple. So...
0: Okay, David, we'll come back and tell us what happened.
2: Yeah. Th- thank you guys for this conversation. And I that was I uh, appreciate you answering mine and that great statement. So thank you.
0: Excellent. Okay. Thank you, okay. everybody else. Parker. See you, what, see you, David. Bye-bye. Okay. Corey, you got your hand up too. Where's Corey? I don't see him.
5: I'm in the shadows. I think
0: it looks like anything. on my screen on behind a blue cloud, but
5: <laughs> yeah, uh, it's kind of dark over here. I'm just chilling in the shade. But um, and I've re- been reading a lot of philosophy lately. And also um, a lot of scripture will also call the mind one of the sense doors. Uh, it, but it is a different one, right? Because the mind is, it's it's like on a different level. It's on a higher level or basic level. It's everywhere. Or the mind is always there in some way. Uh, Because all the other senses go through the mind. And so this mind is a different, um, and I I realize the problem with the mind as well. But, um, so, the thing that really interests me, or that I want to get your your, uh, two cents on, is dreaming. Because when we're dreaming, we could wake up in the dream, and it can be experienced as a kind of present moment or um, a sense we can... Like when we're dreaming and we wake up and it, the dream becomes our present moment almost. And so there's this weird, um, and, <laughs> and the practice that you showed me of um, being aware before I go to bed and being aware when I wake up has kind of made me, one, one day I woke up right before I woke up. I became conscious as I was waking up. And uh I could hear my body snoring, and I could feel myself in the mind, and then I felt myself come into the body, and then I could sense the mind. so I felt this weird kind of uh, thing happening, but so it seems like the mind is its own kind of I don't even know what the mind is, really; it's a very mysterious phenomenon, but um and so the body and the senses is kind of like the ideal platform to be sensing reality through it gives you a more comprehensive um, experience of reality but the mind also has its own reality and so I'm wondering about um, like the platform of the body but then also the reality that comes with the mind as well or I was just kind of curious because a lot of the things I read kind of mention those things about. You know like maybe astral projection when the mind become when you move your consciousness into the mind or something but there just seems like there's a very interesting overlay there how it's you know being present in the body is different being present when you're completely in the mind like in dreaming or astral projection um and so i, I wanted to just see what you thought about that and kind of um That would probably be like i guess maybe after five years of sila when we've mastered being in the present and and there but at some point um what what is the mystery of the mind or what's that mind about okay
0: (laughs) you you've given a lot let us talk about it like this let's start with the winged horse that went somehow from Mecca to Jerusalem and then went to heaven one stage at a time, higher and higher into heavens. And then he comes back down to Jerusalem and then over to Mecca again, all in one night. And not only that, but that horse had a passenger. Whose name was Muhammad. Have any of you ever heard that story before? That's why the uh, Islam say that they own Jerusalem, especially the temple is because that was a launching
1: pad for a dream. Dreams are powerful thing.
0: Especially if you believe. Them. But one of the things that we can say, Corey, the Buddha doesn't take much distinction between daydreams and nightdreams that in fact what call them is burning by day and smoldering by night the burning by day is the fire of the mind that tries to light everything else up around it rather than the eye that can see that we try to become the fire. We try to light everything up around us. Uh, This would be then the issue of the self. I am. This happens to every one of us at about the age of two or so is when we finally figure out that we're not quite as dependent as we thought we were upon mommy. And we start getting the idea of I am. We become a rebel. We learn a word the word is no we stop and we never stop using the word no that defines who we are so these dreams that we have are in fact whether they're daydreams or night dreams they're still not real that's why we call them dreams is because they are other places, other times, other situations that is not right here, right now. And so being in our senses, when we actually see with the eye, we see the light that's coming into the eye that's coming right now from the places around us. The sounds that we hear are the hearing is that which going on right here within our own little world. The location that we're in, the environment that we're in, that supports us, nourishes us, keeps us alive, and if you let it, it keeps us happy and in a state of well-being. But if we take the mind and go someplace else that's not in the state of well-being, we'll bring that non-well-being from that jungle that the mind went to back into the here now. So the choice is, are we going to live in the paradise we're in? Or are we going to call it a jungle because we're thinking about a jungle? So this is the important point, then about these five versus this other sense, this sixth sense. Um, you actually use the term, Corey, about um, the mind's own world. And that was a good point, because what we can say then is is that dukkha can be defined then as the distinction between the real world of our senses and the mental world that we wind up with. So we see that and we make this of it. If this and that are very close together, then there's very likely dukkha. But if what I see, this becomes that strange thing in my mind, then I'm pretty far away. And I'm more than likely going to be causing dukkha for myself or others sometime or another. So if I see a friend as an enemy, I'm going to treat him as an enemy until he becomes Uh an enemy. If I treat him as a friend, he will become a friend. So we create our reality that way, but the, the, uh, Particular point was, is that no, he was a friend all along. Making him an enemy was something we did in the mind. When we allow it to be, everything is okay. Everything in our environment is beautiful and nice and wonderful. And there's no problems and no worries and nothing needs to be fixed. Then we can kind of set the, the, uh, the problem solving machine, the mind down. And just bask in the marvelous input that we're receiving. And when we're able to do that, that's one of the various stages of jhana. Is depending upon what we're actually looking at. In the beginning, in the first jhana, after we get experienced with the first jhana, what we do with it then is, is that we we pay close attention to the jhana factors themselves. We pay close attention to the feelings of sukha, we pay close attention to the feeling of being a winner, being on top of the game, being able to do this. We pay close attention to the fact that the mind is free from the hindrances. We pay close attention to the fact that we can keep applying the mind and applying it and sustaining it over and over again, over and over again, the repetitive part. So we watch this. This is the way that we look at it in that first jhana, and then as we do that we're also doing it with a kind of a dialogue that is um is discursive thought but it is a discursive thought that is actually kind of a blow-by-blow description of what's actually happening right now and as we pay less attention to the blow-by-blow description and start paying closer and closer attention to that which is actually happening, that's when we enter into the second jhana. is when we're actually spending our, uh, quite a lot of our mind moment times, not talking about it, not thinking about it, but literally experiencing. And in that regard, experiencing how good we feel, experience how, We're kind of like a tumbleweed in the wind and we're just blowing all over the place. We're in a reality that's dynamic that we're not sitting here on the porch where the porch is still. No, this porch is in motion. (laughs) So is the chair and all the breeze and everything around And It's just in a great, big, marvelous flood right now. And so we begin to experience it that way because we're actually experiencing those minute changes and details of things. And as we do that, we begin to settle into it. And as we settle into it deeper and deeper, we settle more and more into the actual experience of it, rather than our response to it. And so that was the graduation, that there's no longer an experience, or there's just the experience. And that's when we're at full on consciousness, when there's no perception, and without perception, there's no feelings. Just in a kind of a state of,
1: uh no words to it, really. Corey, does this answer your question? Oh, having a little trouble with my mic.
5: Yeah, that kind of explains it, I mean, it's um, like I remember talking about anchors at one point and uh, the senses are a kind of anchor into the present moment. And if you get anchored in the mind, it's like most of the time there's a kind of problematic anchoring of being anchored in the mind. And then well, let us say that's the habit and then perceiving. Mm-hmm.
1: That's the habit. The habit
0: is, yeah. is that we're in the mind. Almost like this, that most ships, most boats, spend most of their time in port. Did you know that?
1: Especially yachts. Mostly yachts spend most of their time in port. That's what we're doing. We've all
0: become yachts. And we spend almost all of our time parked in our own little port. <laughs> when there is a big, wide, wonderful sea out there to go enjoy.
1: Speaking of sense anchors,
4: then, can I just ask, do you have, uh, like, does it,
1: like I find for being in that, that thusness, that, thing it starts if i
4: tune into like physical sensations and sound are kind of my two bigger triggers or bigger anchors for it does everybody just kind of have a different one or do you have a recommendation for
0: i lose my connection yeah your 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 video you back okay yeah you froze and Harper Rose. Now, I'm glad we didn't lose the recording anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, starting, never mind, start again.
4: <laughs> so, I just asked um, uh, w- w- for getting into that, that thusness, that direct experience, I find personally that tapping into like, Full physical body sensations and sounds are like the two sense triggers that get me there immediately. Do different people just, you know, tend to have an easier time with different senses, or do you recommend some other kind of like holistic ball of it? Or
0: I would recommend based upon some of the stuff that I've experienced over a long period of time, including some of the things that I've heard from NLP is is that we get into habits of doing it a particular way. An example would be see feel that we see something and we immediately feel. And so another way of doing it would be to start to interrupt those processes. And and try other combinations that think of your body, mind, feeling complex. Is a marvelous new toy to play with. And that you can make new
1: combinations. And then with that, knowing that you can tinker with it, you can begin to plot your escape from it. So that's the way I think.
5: Mm -hmm. One that I really like is um, telling and then mind. So like, I'll smell things, and then, like, usually, it's yeah, I think sight is a big one for everyone because just the way that the human mechanism evolved, I guess, is that you know, primates are very visual, humans are very visual, our sight is incredibly well developed. But um, mm-hmm. for me, I usually end up being in feeling and seeing, and then sound is a really big one. But um, it seems like I have a lot of luck or success with smelling. And then if I naturally get into smelling, which is really close to like, uh, on a Panasaki and like, I could either be like practicing and then I'll begin to smell things. And like every moment I'll smell, the next in breath, I'll smell something new. And so it keeps the interest up to constantly be smelling something. And then when I smell something, it will trigger some kind of like mind. Um, but it's... I don't know, like Dumorado was saying, I just kind of will play around with different things like smell to the mind or like uh, like breath to touch or just kind of play around with them and then have fun with it and that keeps the interest up and it keeps present.
0: Right. Okay, so while some cultures talk about it and do more with the sense of smell than others. That, in fact, within a culture, there are perfumes and fragrances and flowers. And some people don't pay any attention to that stuff at all. So um, there's a wide variety of things that are going on with that. But by and large, you could think of the sense of smell as the least developed of any of the senses that we have that there's many, many different ways of developing the sense of sound. And that would be, um, I'll give two examples. One would be with music and the other one would, would be going to the forest to listen to the forest. But that's something that I learned to do or learned about at least with the, um, uh, at the Tuscarora reservation. Uh, Back in the 70s, I went and spent some months there uh, with Chief Beeman Logan and Mad Bear. And Chief Beeman Logan taught me to listen. To just listen. I kept complaining my ears were not good. And he kept saying, well, listen to the with the ears that you've got. (laughs) And just listen. Pick up what you can hear. And it, it was something like what I learned from him Was very much what I understood instinctually anyway, or let us say at least empirically, and then was able to discover for myself in India, and that is that your eyes get used to darkness. That you can, in fact, pay attention to what you can see, even if there's no light to see with. There are things that you can hear. That, in fact, there is so much happening, so many sounds around that if you listen, there's a symphony going on all the time. So this is what we actually want to do is increase our senses. And, Corey, you mentioned odors or smells. Yes, that's one of the things we can do with Anapanasati is literally wake up and smell whatever coffee there is in the moment to be able to take in and inhale and uh, experience the air with all of its strange little molecules and stuff. That, in fact, one of the joys that I have is being around dogs because dogs are extremely olfactory. They want to smell anything. You want to show them the cell phone? What is the dog going to do with the cell phone? Tell me. What is he going to do with it? He's going to smell it. He's going to sniff it. Exactly. And we know that sniffing it is not going to do any good. Well, how do you know? Have you bothered to sniff your cell phone?
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Have you? Do you even know what it smells like? Do you know that the distinction between the outer wrapping plastic and the battery is what the battery smells like? No, we don't care. We don't pay attention to it. And yet that's the dog's old world. He pays attention with it with it. Okay, so that's a good meditation practice is to begin to start smelling. Intentionally, what is it in the air? Then, in fact, a lot of stuff is transmitted kind of almost magically because it's subconsciously, but we actually do communicate with each other through odors. And yet in our culture, because of the fear of bad odor and offensive odors, we generally wash it off. I mean, now I'm thinking about Eric and conversations that we've had about uh, natural odor of humans is not so bad after all. Until you have zest commercials and Bite uh, boy and <laughs> all of those other things.
1: So, who is this? Daryl.
0: So, Daryl, we were just talking about the senses and being in the senses and paying attention to the senses intentionally in the senses. And that's exactly how easy it is to get into the fourth jhana, is because we're actually, for instance, just smelling just taking in the air and getting a whiff of what's going on. One of the things that I've noticed over time is that my sense of smell has grown quite acute, especially in regard to things like when I was a teenager, we had leaded gas and there was the smell of gasoline everywhere, and I didn't pay any attention to it at all. The guy with the weed whacker can be 50 meters from here and I smell the gasoline. When a motorbike comes up within 20 meters, I can smell the gasoline. I can smell the difference between diesel. Because I'm out here in the woods, those odors are not common. They're not mixed in. So one of the things that we know about odors is is that particular smells get lodged in the nose and then we can't detect that particular smell anymore for a while until we do without it. And then we can come back and we can sense it again because it's been dislodged. So this is one of the reasons why I would strongly recommend to start paying attention to keeping your uh, nose and uh, sinuses clean intentionally clean things out remember to do that when you wake up in the morning do a little bit of a cleansing whatever that you take whatever you want to use with either a mechanical or a a vegetable or an inhaler or anything like that but you can do it with training all on your own just by pulling the stuff back you take an in breath and then pull it down and then you can swallow. It's okay to swallow all of that stuff because the stomach is just going to see that as more food anyway. And so uh, cleaning that the sinuses out allows us to experience better the air that we're breathing and we become more part of it. So breathing well and keeping things cleaned out and the experience of breathing and the experience of smelling is all interrelated with this issue of going into the jhanas because we're paying attention to what's real rather than thinking about whatever. So can thanks, just,
1: Corey.
4: Can I ask a follow-up on that, quick, then? Sure. So if we work on, you know, I plan on working on, hon- you know, honing all of the the individual sen- sen- senses, but if you're going into a specific jhana, is it generally because you are focused on just one of the senses at a time? Or are you experiencing kind of a panorama of senses?
0: Well, the jhanas have more to do, not with which sense, but the, but the progression of first going with the thought, Getting the thoughts wholesome, bringing up um, an experience of delight, an experience of great joy. And then we take that great joy as the object of meditation that after we talk ourselves into feeling really great, now we let ourselves experience feeling really great. And so sometimes we might want to come back just to remind ourselves to feel really great again. And then off we go again until we get used to doing it. So there's actually each jhana they talk, they speak of as well as various other things is having always two stages, the fruit and the path, the path comes first and then the fruit when you're following fruit. Okay. So the, the fruit of the, path of the first jhana, then melts into the path of the second jhana. And the path of the second jhana then melts into the fruit of the second jhana, which then melts into the path of the third jhana. So these are uh, these are melting points rather than road signs or stark things that happen in the mind or whatever like that is. kind of a process of working through our feelings into direct experience so we start with vedana this is where the process starts this is why the Dasa talks about wisdom at the point of contact so that we can manage and control the feelings once we learn to manage and control the feelings so that you can feel the way that you want to then you let that kind of go Because now you're beginning to see that, oh, I feel the way that I wanted to feel because of the salayatana that I chose to create. Rather than the salayatana that I allowed to be created because of all my own habits. Now that we know that we can, in fact, control our salayatana with perception, we begin to start looking at perception itself and how perception operates with uh, consciousness so that we begin to dismantle the perceptional system. And that's where the fourth jhana has all of these topics about um, infinite consciousness. Is not infinite consciousness. It's more that it's not bounded by perception anymore, that the perception gets weak, and we stay more and more in, in contact. Well, this can happen in and out of a couple of seconds. We're not talking about a process that takes weeks and months and months to go through the third jhana into the fourth jhana. We're talking about momentary times within your mind. So that, in fact, when you're actually experiencing the smell of that rose and you're 100% into it, in that instant, you're in fourth jhana. Wake up. Look what you're doing. Here you are. (laughs) Gotcha. That these things are quite fleeting, but you can begin to manage them. And the way that we learn to manage this stuff is by learning to manage with the with the first jhana by being able to sustain the wholesome thoughts one after another. If you can learn to sustain the thoughts one after another after another, then you can learn to sustain the feeling of wow. So you can just kind of ride on that wow. All right, and when you begin to sustain that, then you can get into just being in the present, so that you can not only take a big whiff of that rose, but you can let it linger and linger and linger, and there's nothing but just the scent of that rose. As you very, very calmly breathe in and breathe out, there's nothing but rose.
1: Wake up,
3: guys.
0: (laughs) So this, this is this is the way that we we work with that and we can do that with with senses. Another way with the eyes is what we call gazing rather than looking. Or we can do it with music by listening to an orchestra With all of the orchestra rather than paying attention to one thing. Mostly violinists listen to violins and bass players listen to bass, and you know the thing. But you got to learn to be the conductor so that you're listening to everything that's happening. And so we expand the intentionally expand our awareness. It's not kind of 50 50, it's that we're using focus to learn how to open our focus so that we begin to allow any and everything one by
1: one as they occur.
0: Think of it like that, that this present moment is kind of like a um, conveyor belt. And along this conveyor belt are various items. And sometimes the conveyor belt has an item that we like. And when we like it, we pick it up, we grab it, we hold it, and we stop paying attention to the conveyor belt. The whole point here is is to learn to set that stuff down on the conveyor belt, weave it in the past now because it's gone, and let's pay attention to what's under the conveyor belt right now. It may in fact be telling a story, but if we get attached to one item or two items on it, then we're loaded down with those items and we're not paying attention to what's happening anymore. So that's the way also of looking at the mind as the mind grabs a hold of something and then wants to keep it where in fact, the reality was that it was very fleeting because there's so much happening all the time. We live in a very dynamic environment and it's a good idea to start paying attention to that dynamic, that every breath is a different one. Mm-hmm. Everything is different. Everything is up, you know. So let's pay attention to what's happening right now, rather than either um not paying any attention at all. Or the intermediate stage is yes, we're paying attention, but we're telling ourselves a story about it, a blow-by-blow description. That's how we get started. That's the beginning of the wholesome thoughts, is that blow by blow description of what's happening. But after we start really paying attention to stuff, that blow-by-door description is quite unnecessary now. I can just watch what's happening. So that's another way of looking at the training, is that we want to train the mind to start doing a blow-by-blow description of what's going on right now. Rather than a blow-by-blow of slapping somebody around who's not really here. (laughs) But if he were, you wouldn't believe what I'd do to Donald Trump.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: We've all mentioned that mental place over the years.
2: you share the Dama with him, right?
0: Yes, I would. I would allow him... The pleasure of just being here now.
5: (laughs) Alvarado president, make meditation great again.
0: (laughs) Oh my goodness. Oh. Mm, I like that. No, actually, to make it Maga, we're going to have, say, make Anapanasati great again. (laughs) No. Or how about make Anapanasati great already? (laughs) Everything's fine.
4: Everything's already fine.
0: Right, it's already here. (laughs) Well, guys, this has been going on for about an hour and 40 minutes. I see with the new clock, it's hard to see. But I really appreciate this, Corey and uh, David and uh, Todd, as well as uh, you guys. Do we have any closing remarks, anything to say? Eric, any any button, any buckles shining?
3: <laughs> no, this has <laughs> been really great, though. Thank you, guys.
0: <laughs> How about you, Parker?
5: As per usual, anyone watching on the YouTube or here now can check out the Discord. We've got a great group of friends there. And then these Sangha calls, are you can join them. Link in the description. Everyone is welcome.
0: Thank you. Thank you. You you remember. Corey, we'll see you later.
5: Yes, I will join in the light next time. (laughs) Have a good one, everybody. Todd, we'll see you.
0: Thank you very much. Daniel, I'm glad you called in. Okay, bye-bye, guys.
1: Bye, everyone.
3: See you. Bye again.